We're gonna go to Luke 15 in a moment, but speaking of children, they're dismissed to junior church at this point. Right, there's junior church today. Sometimes I don't know. Okay, yeah, you're going, so I guess there is. (laughs) Um, We're gonna be going to Luke chapter 15. And by the way, I thought that was just a great combination of in Christ alone and the solid rock. And what beautiful words in those songs. I hope as we sing songs in worship service, we notice the words that we're singing to the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful words about the gospel. And it's so powerful to sing those back to the Lord in praise and exaltation. So we're going to be going to Luke 15 here in a moment. But by way of introduction, I wonder, have you ever lost something? Like we can all, we all know what it's like to lose something, right? We all know what it's like to lose something. Maybe you've lost a piece of jewelry. Maybe you've lost a piece of clothing. For me, every spring or almost every spring, I'll take winter clothes and put them in a laundry basket on the top shelf of my closet. And sure enough, every fall when I bring out those winter clothes, I feel like I'm missing one of my favorite shirts or pairs of pants or something. And what a joy it is to find that shirt. Also, what a joy it is to reach in the pocket of some jacket that I haven't worn since winter and find a $20 bill. <laughs> right? How, how neat it is. Or you reach in, you think, I was wondering where this chapstick went or something else, right? We've lost something. We've experienced a joy. And it's great joy, right, to find what you're missing. Have you ever lost a pet? Not by death, but by them running away, being mischievous, gone missing. Maybe you've lost your favorite snake in the house. Hopefully not that, but (laughs) I knew somebody when I was at a church plant in Piqua, and they didn't have a pet snake. At least they didn't think they did, but they would find a snake skin in their basement every winter, (laughs) and they said, we don't mind. I thought, you don't mind? I would be getting a credit card out or something and finding somebody to get rid of that snake. Have you ever lost a pet, though? I think we've all, or most of us at least, experienced having a dog or cat run away and go missing. When I was in sixth grade, my dad brought home a blue tick beagle from work. We thought he just found said blue tick beagle on, on the road, and we would just take him in for a while. But we, and we immediately said, my brothers and I went out and said, can we keep him? And and it turned out my dad had a customer that he worked with, he was in sales, who needed to give away this blue tick beagle. The blue tick beagle was to be a hunting dog, and for some reason he had to give him away. And so we were trying him out, seeing if he'd work out. And, and, and we named him Sam. We named him Sam. And we had a pet rabbit at the time. Just so you know, it's not good to have a pet rabbit with a blue tick beagle. They're supposed to hunt rabbits, not see them in a cage. But Sam, the blue tick beagle, would always get out the front door. Sam, the blue tick beagle, loved to run. We, have a, we had a fenced-in backyard, but Sam, the blue tick beagle, had a way of getting out. He had a, we never saw him do it. I don't know how he climbed the fence or went under the fence or got in between. He had a way of getting out. Oftentimes, we would see him sneak out the front door, and my brother and I, I was in sixth grade, my brother's in eighth grade, and we just went for a great foot race and tried to catch Sam. And sometimes we did, a few times we didn't, but we eventually got him back. My dad got a little concerned that we'd be chasing Sam and run in front of traffic or something. And one day we came home from school, though, and Sam was nowhere to be found. 
we asked my mom, what happened to Sam? And, and this, we only had him a month or so, maybe, maybe two or three. So it was maybe a month in. And she said, Sam snuck out the front door today and we don't know where Sam is. And so all day long, we were, and all evening, it was a Friday night, a cold February weekend. And all weekend long, we're looking for Sam. We're wondering, we're riding our bikes around, calling out, Sam, Sam, Sam. We're wondering, where did Sam go? And even in the evening after it was dark and I think it was even snowing off and on, we'd look out, we'd walk to the front door and see if Sam was there. And, and we, would, we would say, we had another dog. Sandy was our faithful dog we had for 16 or something years. And, and even Sandy, who probably more tolerated Sam, but even our dog Sandy, I think missed Sam because if we said his name, Sandy would perk up, probably hoping the bully wasn't back. But um, Sam was nowhere to be found. We just looked and looked for Sam, but Sam was missing. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Missing a pet, missing a piece of jewelry, missing something else. In the passage we're gonna read, Jesus talks about how when we are lost by God, when we are lost from God, when we are lost from God, he seeks us out. When we are lost, God seeks us out. God loves us when we are lost. If you're following the fill in the blanks in the bulletin, uh, that's a blank right there. God loves us when we are lost. Lost people matter to God. That's my theme. God's love seeks you when you're lost. God's love seeks you when we are lost, seeks us when we are lost. We're in this sermon series titled God Loves You. God Loves You. And the idea is to encourage us that God loves us. God loves us. God has a love for us. There's three back-to-back parables in Luke 15, three back-to-back parables in which Jesus is giving to show that lost people matter to God. And the application, which I'm gonna come back to in the end, is do lost people matter to us? Do lost people matter to us? Oftentimes, I'm not convinced that those in the church care about the lost. It's a battle across the church of North America to motivate a church in evangelism and outreach. It's a normal thing for the church to turn inward, inward focus, not outward. It's normal for us to get religious. Religion is about what we do to earn our way to God. We can't earn our way to God. Christianity is about what Jesus has done He's completed, he's done to take care of our sin problem. Lost people matter to God. I was speaking at a group called Men's Challenge back probably 2013. It was a group in Alliance that started an alliance in Canton to help train men in work ethic, to help train them in job readiness skills, applying for jobs, doing resumes. We did mock interviews. We even found businesses to help give them some work experiences. Men who grew up without a dad, without seeing a dad go to work every day, we were trying to give them training. Several churches and alliance supported it. Several local businesses, we'd partner them with a mentor. And we and we'd start with a devotion. And I led devotion once a month. And I said, the church needs to repent. And I believe it. Because oftentimes we don't act like we care about the gospel. Lost people matter to God. There are three parables back to back right here showing lost people matter to God and they should matter to us. Jesus is the hope of the world. 
Politics is not gonna save people. Politics is downstream from culture. Jesus is the hope of the world. Money is not gonna save people. Job readiness skills is not gonna save. Those are all important things. It's not to say they're not important, but they're not even nearly as important as having Jesus in your life. I'm gonna look at Luke 15, one through two first. This is a context. The tax collectors and sinners. Don't you love how Luke writes this? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I don't want to be too specific to Bethel, but I could hear the same grumbling, and I have heard the same grumbling in churches across Ohio. We don't want to be around those types of people. We don't want those people, people around us. Nope, guess who Jesus was with? And guess who complained? Guess who, guess who grumbled? The Pharisees and the scribes. The tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, yet the Pharisees and the scribes did not like this. They talked badly about Jesus for eating with them. Later on in other gospels, he was even considered one of them. They even called him a drunkard. He wasn't a drunkard. It's kind of funny because Jesus turned their logic back on them. They were hard on John the baptizer, who didn't go around those people, but then they were hard on Jesus, who did. There's no way of winning. The Pharisees and the scribes were the religious elite. They kept every bit of the law, every bit. The tax collectors were not liked by most Jews because they would take money from people and usually take more than they were supposed to. Sinners would refer to someone who didn't keep the religious law as well as the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not only hold to Moses' law, the Pharisees held to all the traditions, something like 622 traditions and laws that they kept. And they aimed to keep every single bit. But if you've read the Sermon on the Mount recently, you've seen how Jesus actually said, guess what? You think you're clean on the outside. If you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've sinned. If you've even said you fooled your brother, you've hated him in your heart, you've committed murder. So Jesus took it even further and said, there's internal issues still going on. But the Pharisees, the scribes, they tried to keep every single bit. The tax collectors and the sinners were rejected by the religious elite, but they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. The religious people rejected Jesus. The people who knew they were sinners went to Jesus, but the people who were supposed to be the religious authority rejected Jesus. They rejected their own Messiah. Now, we shouldn't get too prideful. We might, we were in their same place, but they rejected him. But the people who knew they were sinners, they were following him. It's amazing in Luke's gospel because between Luke 9 and Luke 19, it's called the road to Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. It says he sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He starts going towards Jerusalem and he tells, he tells 10 parables in Luke chapter 9 through Luke 19 that are not in the other gospels. And he's in Samaria when he tells these parables. He's in Samaria. Samaria was enemy territory to the Jews. There was hostility between the Samaritans and the Jewish people of Jerusalem. Of course, we know the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus makes the Samaritan the good guy. Lost people matter to God. Jesus intentionally went to them. 
Jesus loves the outcast. Jesus loves everyone. If you're following the bulletin, fill in the blanks. There's another one right there. Jesus loves the outcast. Jesus loves everyone. Do we love the outcast? Do we love everyone? Bethel friends, we need to have a church plant mentality. A church plant is a startup church. And a startup church, if you're ever part of them, people will expend themselves for a certain time period. They'll go above and beyond committing to extra ministries to help make them work because they want to see people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior in that area. But as you get settled in a church, you might say, oh, let somebody else do that. I've done that. Or you might say, I commit to this ministry, that's mine. Or you might say, I've done that before, I'm done. Or you might say, uh, I'll serve on the finance committee, but I don't wanna really get my feet wet in a ministry. If we have that attitude, we're never gonna grow. And it's not what God calls us to either. Oftentimes we need to get rid of meetings so we have more time with boots on the ground ministry. Theologian Pastor John Piper says, those in America, we need a wartime mentality. Christians in America. Christians in America need a wartime mentality. That means, you know, anybody who's lived through a war, those old enough maybe to be children during World War II, there were, there were rations and you spent money differently and you had to spend money differently. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of being on a family vacation. He's on a family vacation. It's 1941. It's like December 7th, 1941. Of course, you know what happened that day. And they're listening to the radio on their way to a family vacation and they hear on the radio what happened. His dad turned the car around, said, we're not going on vacation. His dad, who was very successful selling insurance, was too old to go in the military, so he got a job at the shipbuilding yard instead. That's the type of attitude Christians need to have right now. Less than 7% of those who are millennials born after 1982 or 1980, depending on the study, claim to know Christ. They say it's going to 4%. That's the mentality we need to have. We will do everything to expend ourselves, everything within our power, within our ability to expend ourselves for the gospel because lost people matter to God. And we're getting rid of that religious terminology that makes lost people outcasts instead of people we want to seek with the gospel. Jesus wants them saved. Jesus wants them saved, but do we? And we need to repent for the sin of lack of evangelism and for the sin of not caring. Jesus loves the outcast. Jesus loves everyone. And we also need to go above and beyond. We need people to serve in various ministries. So in verses three through seven, Jesus tells the first of three parables, the first of three parables, and he tells him an allegorical story. That's what a parable is. It's an allegorical story. It's a story that comes alongside, a story with a purpose, a story to illustrate. And Jesus told lots of these stories, and this is the first of three to show that lost people matter to God. Look at verses three through seven of Luke 15. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy if you're following the filling in the blanks, this is one of them. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons 
who need no repentance. Now, before we get a little too far, Jesus is saying this, but I don't think he's really endorsing that there are righteous people who do not need to repent. I think he's being very sarcastic. The parable is simple, but there's still information that we can take from it and apply to us. Someone has 100 100 sheep and loses one. Now I know you and I may be thinking big deal. He's got 99 other sheep. Who cares? It's one, it's one sheep. I think plural and singular is the same. We'll go with it. He still has 99 other sheep left. But to shepherds, this was a big deal. This was their income. One scholar points out, the shepherd was responsible for each sheep. If one was missing, the shepherd had to pay for it unless he could prove that it was killed by a predator. I was a McDonald's shift manager in college. I did my five years of tribulation period there. (laughs) And if an employee steals fry, they'd be terminated. That's theft. We look at it and we think, it's just a fry. Or, you know, you might think a small fry. No, I'm thinking even one fry. One of the owners was standing next to me. I'm running the shift and, and a young employee just grabbed a fry. It was almost like a natural reflex for him, but he didn't realize what he was doing. And this owner standing right there. And I said, do you want me to terminate him? She said, yeah, that's theft. Now that's their product. And for the shepherd, the sheep were their income. This uh, one source continues. This explains why he would leave the flock with the other shepherds. So he left the flock with the other shepherds. He would go and search for the missing animal. And then he rejoiced when he found it. He would rejoice when he found it. Not, not, not to find the lost sheep meant money out of his own pocket plus the disgrace of being known as a careless shepherd. So the man in the parable goes to look for the one sheep. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness. Then he finds his other sheep and he rejoices. He rejoices so much that he calls his friends and tells them about it. Have you ever had this situation? Have you ever lost something and then when you found it, you're excited, you call your daughter hey, you know that thing I was missing, that bracelet or whatever it is? I found it. You know where it was? You won't believe where it was at. I found it today. And likewise, that's what Jesus is telling this shepherd would do. The idea is this individual is excited to find that one sheep. Jesus brings the parable together. And this is a heavy rebuke. I think we read over it so many times, we do not realize how strong this is. And it it rebukes all of us. Talking to myself as well, it rebukes all of us. It's a heavy rebuke. He says, in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over a lost person, a sinner who repents. Now, why is that a rebuke? Because I think oftentimes we're not rejoicing. And oftentimes we're not sharing. And oftentimes we're not caring. We go our own way, letting people go their own way to hell. Notice this is sarcasm too. Jesus says more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And I think that is sarcasm because the Pharisees did not think they needed to repent. They didn't think they needed to repent, but they did. Some Pharisees later, later would, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. 
Paul was a Pharisee. When we are lost, God's love seeks us out. That's another blank. When we are lost, God's love seeks us out. You know how he seeks people out? Usually through us, through you and me. Through you and me. The next parable is about a woman who has lost one silver coin out of 10. Look at verses eight through 10. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You wanna make heaven worship? Share the gospel with people. Now it's not up to you if they're saved, it's, up to, it's between them and God. But we're just called to share. I challenged you a few weeks ago, now a few months ago, put one person on a list this year. You could pick five, but at least do one that you really want to pray for daily and pray, God, give me opportunities to talk about my faith with them. Do you really care about? And then you make an opportunity. You go to lunch with them. You, you go to breakfast. You invite them out. And you share the gospel. You talk about your faith with them. This silver coin is probably equal to a day's wages, by the way. We look at this and we think, oh, she has 10, she lost one, big deal. No, it's probably equal to a day's wages. More than that, it's possible that this silver coin is part of her dowry. And get this, the dowry was the only portion of money that a bride was able to keep even if the marriage ended. Now, I know that quite well because a few months ago, I rewatched the John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man. John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, and she cared about her dowry. None of you are noticing. You go home and watch it, okay? She cared about her dowry, and they're wondering, why do you care about your dowry? Because that's the only money that belonged to her. And every time I went over this sermon this week, I thought, that makes it come alive. The dowry was the only part of the money that belonged to the woman, and that's one reason why she cared about that one silver coin. Another possibility is that uh, it's possible that Jewish women, or I guess that sometimes they did, Jewish women would wear a headband of 10 silver coins. And that was a symbol that they are married. It would be a disaster for one to be missing. The Jewish houses were often dark and there would be cracks in the stone floor where the coin could be. So the coin is important. She lights the lamp. She's sweeping the floor. She's looking, you know, imagining her, imagine her getting down on her hands and knees and sweeping and feeling around, trying to find that one coin. And when she does, she calls her friends and she rejoices. Now Jesus says, there is rejoicing by the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, God is not the only one rejoicing, but also angels. God's created beings are rejoicing. Now remember, I wanted to encourage you of God's love for you. That's how much God loves you. God loves it when we reestablish, when we receive him as Lord and Savior, when we treasure him as Lord and Savior. God wants a relationship with us. But also I'm making that other application. I want you to know that, but I also want Bethel to have this evangelism mindset that we really care about the lost and we really care about reaching this next generation. God searches for the lost. God seeks us out. 
We were all lost at one time, and some of us may still be lost. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? They hid from God in their sin, and God searched them out. I'm hesitant to bring this up, but I will. Um, It's no secret, right? Bethel Friends is an older congregation, and I'm talking primarily to Bethel Friends. I think uh, when we did studies last year, something like three-fourths of you are over 65. I would tell you a secret. The last three churches I've served, counting Bethel, since I was 25, I've never been at a church with predominant my age group. If I add up the people in my age group here, it's three or four. If you add up most of you, that your age group is most of your church, is most of the church. I don't mean to make it about age, but someone, actually multiple people. So if this is somebody I shouldn't address in a sermon, multiple people have said, we don't know if you care about our age. You don't, we don't know if Pastor Steve, if you and the leadership care about the elderly people. And it's, all, it's always interesting when I hear that because I think anybody who is, and again, I don't like talking about age, ages, but it's come up a number of times. So part of me thinks, but somebody who's over 55, 60, they're naturally gonna fit in at Bethel. Organically, they're here. If somebody comes in their 35, they don't fit. If somebody comes in their 25, they're naturally, it's gonna be glaringly obvious that we don't have their age. My prayer is we change that. My prayer is that as Bethel grows, the median age will be median, not average, because the average would be affected by a baby. You know, but the median will be affected by a baby, not as much. The median age, I would love to see the median age be 45 years old. Lots of people between 45 and 90, 100, lots of people younger. And so, you know, we'll have all ages here. I love every generation here. I love the older people here. I love them. The problem is the absence of young people. We need to reach the young people. We need to reach this next generation with the gospel. And we're talking, and I'm hoping to see a seniors ministry develop here. We do some seniors bus trips and, and others different senior events. If you wanna help with that, see me. I'm hoping to, I'll connect you with other people who have talked about possibly leading that. I wanna see more seniors ministries here. I do. I wanna see also mentor groups between seniors and young, young adults. And when somebody new comes in, we can set them up with mentors. When somebody's getting baptized, we set them up with a mentor. And somebody's coming up with a, in membership, we, send them in with, uh, we set them up with a mentor. You know, things like that. I think there's so many more things we can do. I love the seniors. I love all of you. And I wanna, uh, we wanna keep connecting. This is your church. We wanna keep connecting with all of you. But I also wanna see a motivation that we wanna reach the generation that is missing from churches across the United States of America. Some of them are your children, your grandchildren. I would love to see all generations care about the lost. And I would love to see those over, pick your age, what a senior is. If it's 40, whatever, (laughs) pick your age. I would love to see that generation be the primary movers and shakers saying, we gotta reach people with the gospel. We gotta lead the charge, reaching people with the gospel. I would love to see that. God searches for the lost. God seeks us out. We were all lost. Get this, we were all lost at one time. None of you were born a believer in Christ. None of you were born as, as, as 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 a Christian. God does not have grandchildren. You don't automatically get accepted into God's kingdom by being born to Christian parents. You have an advantage, but you're not automatically saved. God seeks out sinners. God wants a relationship with the lost. 
Well, remember my dog, Sam? Sam was a blue tick beagle. Sam was lost. And all weekend, I think for a week or two, actually, Sam was missing. We watched for him. We put up signs. We put up flyers. We put it on Facebook. No, I'm kidding. There was no Facebook. We didn't have internet. <laughs> we, we spread the word everywhere we could, spread it through the elementary school and the, and the junior high. It was called junior high then. And one day I came home from school and Sam was back home. Mom said uh, somebody called her and they had seen Sam like 100 miles away. No, not that far, but Sam could run. But a few miles away and taken Sam in and she went and picked up Sam. Sam was back home. You know what's interesting? During that whole time, our faithful dog, Sandy, was at home. We were missing Sam, and we were never grateful that Sandy was at home. Sandy was safe. And it's an illustration, though. God loves everyone who's part of his kingdom, but he really wants to reach the lost. His love seeks us, you and me, when we're lost, and his love seeks the others when they're lost. In these two parables, Jesus is saying that God cares about every lost person. Even though he has so many righteous people, he still cares about the lost. More than that, he seeks out the lost. Get this, he initiates the salvation of the lost. He initiates the salvation of the lost. God looks for us, God looked for us, and there is a celebration in heaven when the lost are found. There's a celebration in heaven when the lost are found. There's another parable. Luke 15, 11 through 32. It's the third of these three back-to-back parables. I've taught on it and preached on it before, so I'm only gonna share the title, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. Another example of how the father yearns for the prodigal. The father yearns for the lost. Dr. Callis was the president of Asbury Theological Seminary uh, when I started the seminary, started at the seminary, started as a seminary student. And he also taught preaching. And he was my preaching professor. And sometimes, you know, professors, teachers, they get off subject. And we all like that, right? If you're a student, your prof gets off subject. We all like that. At least I did. And one day he got off subject. And he started talking about when he was a kid in Sunday school. He was a kid. Now, he was 86 years old when he was my professor. So he was not a, a, a young, he wasn't necessarily old, but he wasn't a young professor. He was 86 years old as my professor and a wonderful preaching professor. And he got off subject and he talked about being a child. And so we're probably talking, what, the 1930s or so? And he's a child and he's in Sunday school. And one day the Sunday school teacher got off subject. The Sunday school teacher started talking about how he was saved. He said, the Sunday school teacher said he was a drunk. That's what they called it back then. He was a drunk. They didn't call it an alcoholic. They called it a drunk. And he was very depressed. He saw no hope. He was a drunk. And so one day he was going to throw himself in the river. They're in Iowa or somewhere. And he was going to throw himself in the river and commit suicide. But there was a Sunday night church service going on. And this guy who was going to throw himself in the river wandered into the church service. And that night he gave his life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The night when he would have died... He became alive spiritually. He was saved. And later on, he was discipled. 
And later on, he would teach Sunday school. And he would teach Sunday school to a, a young boy. He would grow up to be a pastor and then seminary professor and president. Lost people matter to God. God's love seeks us out when we are lost. There's a pastor I know. His church was growing, and it was getting to seven or 800 people attending their church. It's a little ways from here. And uh, at one point, there was a guy who always wanted to pray with him. Every Sunday morning, they'd meet for prayer. And one particular morning, this man said, the, uh, this pastor went in to pray with this man, and this man said, we're getting too big, pastor. We're getting too big. We gotta stop growing. We're getting too big. And the pastor said, well, at, at what point do you want us to close the doors? What do you want us to do? Pick a number. Uh, if we get 850 attending on a Sunday, we close the doors. No more admittance. We can't. We're too big. No more. Uh, your daughter's not saved. Suppose that she's the next person to walk in the door. Do we say no more? They prayed and they went on. And the next Sunday morning, the pastor came in to pray. And the man had tears in his eyes. He said, we're not getting too big. I want my daughter to know the Lord. I want my daughter to be saved. We gotta reach just one more. And that became a slogan. Just one more. Just one more. And may that be true in us that we go to bed at night and we say, Lord, use me tomorrow. Put me in places where I can share the gospel. Now, when I say share the gospel... I don't always mean start with, if you die tonight and stood before God, why should I let you into my heaven? I mean have Christ-centered conversations with people. I don't mean generic God conversations, no. Any, even non-believers would do that. I mean Jesus-centered conversations. It could be inviting them to a worship service. It could be inviting them to celebrate recovery. By the way, it means all the more if you say, I'll go with you. It could be referring them to a Bible. It could be giving them a Bible. It could be talking through the whole gospel with them. It could be praying with them. I pray that we care. God cares about the lost people. God cares about you when you're lost. His love seeks you out, and God's love seeks out other lost people as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now after looking at these two and even three parables. You care about the lost. Lord God, I pray that that's an encouragement to all of us here. You care about us. You care about us. You care about us when we, when we are wandering from you. But Lord God, I pray this also motivation. It may be an encouraging motivation. You, Lord God, seek out and care about our friends and family members who are lost. You care about them. You want them to be saved. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use us this week. You would use each and every one of us who claim the name of Christian. Use us. Use us to have Christ-centered conversations with others. Motivate us, place us in situations where we can talk about you, where we can represent you. And Lord God, may we remember people are always watching. If we do something wrong, we better be first and foremost to tell them we were wrong and repent to you. And that's part of our witness. Be glorified and be exalted as we go. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. As always, the closing song is a time where the altars are open. We're here to pray with you. If God has said anything in your heart and you wanna come forward and pray, let us pray with you. It's a privilege to pray with other people. Let's all